2022 is a year in which Formula One sees a lot of change, not only on the cars themselves, but in the way the sport is going to be run over this next season and beyond. Welcome back to the Grid Talk podcast. Today, I am joined with Tom Downey from the EF1 podcast, and we are going to be discussing pretty much just um, having a good good old natter about the new 2022 um, sporting regulations as well as other sort of F1 news that has been going down over the last week. So welcome, Tom. Hello, thank you for having me. Um, so obviously we've got to talk about the big news that has happened today. And that is that Nikita Mazepin won't, well, won't be racing no. um, with Haas um, probably ever now. And he's also taking his big sponsor, Urakali, with him. Yeah, what is your immediate response? I think we knew this was coming, but... Yeah. Um, I think it was inevitable. And before I say anything further, I know Mazepin is obviously not directly involved in what's going on. I'm not going to get into what's going on because everybody knows what's going on. But I know Mazepin is not directly involved, or at least I certainly hope he's not directly involved. However... As we've seen with other sports and other, you know, even other walks of life, you know, we're seeing companies halting account sales or the rest of it in in Russian Belarus. Um, once we saw other sports effectively banning Russian athletes, it was inevitable that this was going to happen, especially given um, the close ties between Yurikali uh, and Putin. Um, I think it, it. I think it was inevitable. Um, I hope Mazepin doesn't get any hate for it. Unfortunately, I think he will, um, and I think he'll also get get the Mickey taken out of him. Um, you know, has to, they were they've been in an impossible position. I think we've all known this is going to be happening. Um, you know, there is no smoke without fire, and I think. Or I think the only reason it's perhaps taken this long is that House were figuring out how they were going to terminate their contracts and, and the exact payouts and basically do, basically doing all the paperwork, crossing the I's, dotting the T's, all the rest of it. Just um, you know, just 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 sort of like just just putting things in place because they know people are gonna have a lot of questions, all the rest of it. You know, people within House Automation Group are gonna gonna want to know what's going on. Um so yeah, I I feel bad for Massapin in some ways because, you know, he, you know his off-track antics aside, he did he did begin to show signs of improvement last year. And I openly said on one of the podcasts end of the last year that it was time to give him a break because he was trying in what was easily the worst car on the grid. Um, do I think there are people who were arguably better or not better suited, uh, more qualified? Who, who are more deserving of the seats? Yes. Um, people like Oscar Piastri, uh, people like Callum Eilat. Um I would have said Robert Schwartzman, but unfortunately he's Russian. So that's, you know, that's, that's, that's very unfortunate. Do I think the seat should go to someone like Nico Hülkenberg? No. Do I think it should go to someone who is young? Yes. Who do I think it will go to? I think we all know who it's going to go to. And I agree with it. But yeah, but it's uh, yeah, um, has have had a torrid time since 2019, really. Yeah, I mean, personally, I'm 
I mean, I tweeted earlier when the, when the news came out, and I was a bit. I'm sort of a bit still unsure about it because obviously it's not Mazepin's fault, and obviously a lot of sanctions are are coming around about just not even Russian athletes in general, not um, you know in across all sports. So I think we were all um, expecting this to happen. Of course, the FIA did say that he would be able to race as long as it was under a neutral flag. He would not be able to have any Russian branding or sponsorship on his on on his car. And then the UK Motorsport said, no, we are just banning all Russian athletes, uh, regardless of whether they race under neutral flag or not. So that would have meant he would have been out for the British Grand Prix anyway. And, you know, it does it does feel like a bit, bit weird that a sort of a driver has been hounded out. Obviously, people talk about his dad's ties with Putin. I personally don't know how much of that is true or not um it's the same with many of the sort of russian oligarchs and very rich russian business and we don't really have much of an idea how much how much ties they have so yeah it, it does feel slightly because it was quite clear that mazapin was willing to do anything to keep his seat it's clearly you know he's doing something he enjoys regardless of the ridicule and all the hate that, you know, F1 fans have got. And I'm going to hold my hands up and say, yeah, over the last year, I've given Mazepin a lot of grief on this podcast, uh, especially to do with his off-track antics and maybe some of his on-track um, antics as well. But while I still don't disagree with anything that I've said, because I think it was all um, merited at the time of when I said it, I do feel like at the moment, he has been quite unfairly treated. Um, and it's sad to see anyone lose their job, regardless of the situation that it's, yep. it's happening under. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I, I agree. I agree with everything you just said, mate. Um, so, yeah. So, of course, Harsa are now a driver short, and they're also a big sponsor short. Um, I think we all pretty much know that it's going to be... Um, I think it's Pietro Fittipaldi. Yeah, yeah. looks like it's going to be. Uh, it's going to be the one that's filling in. He should probably be announced before the Bahrain test, which kicks off next week or this week, depending on um, if you're listening to it later. Um, so what are your opinions on Pietro Fittipaldi? Of course, he did fill in um, for when Mark Mazepin himself um, was out was it for COVID at the end of last season? No, it was when Grosjean crashed um, in 2020. Oh, that was it, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, because um, uh, last year, because Massapin had officially entered the event by taking part in qualifying, Haas couldn't field a replacement driver, which is why they only had one car on the grid. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, it was... Uh, yeah, it, it's mad to think that that was, what, coming up 18 months ago, that mm-hmm. horrendous accident, which I'm sure we all remember. Um uh, I, I mean, he didn't do anything spectacular, but he didn't do anything terrible either. Again, that Haas VF20, which I, or whatever the 2020 car was, I think it was the VF20, was an absolute piece of garbage. Um, so it's not like we were chucking him. It's not like he. It's not like he was in George Russell's position where he was jumping into the uh, into the Mercedes and being like, "Look at me." 
Um, but he also didn't do a Jack Aitken and that sort of spat into the wall. So, you know, yeah, so, so it, it was, you know, it, it was it was probably what you'd want from a debut like that. Does the name bring, bring a bit of heritage, much like his soon-to-be teammates? Yes. Um, do I think that will bring a bit of additional maybe media pressure? I'd say so. Um, do I think people should look past the surname? And just because his granddad is a world champion, does that mean that he that he is going to be the next and best thing? No, because he is not his granddad. Yes, his granddad can teach him all the rest of it, um, but it's not going to morph him into the driver that that he is. You know, you know, it's not like it's not like he's rolled another one off the production line. Um, so I hope he does well. Um, whether whether he will, I guess. I guess we'll see. It depends how good that has to be F21 or 22 even really is um, after they apparently focused all their development from, from 2021 on that car. We'll see. Um, I mean, you know, we've got, we've got testing coming up and then, then we, then we've got the first race in a few weeks. So we'll find out then, I suppose. But, um, but yeah, but you know, Fittipaldi, he's, he's had a decent junior career. You know, he's not done, you, you know, he hasn't had the junior career, I would say, George Russell or Charles Leclerc or even Lando Norris, but he has had a decent junior career and he's had some, you know, he's had some good, he's had some good races and good results in, in other series. Um, oh, I can't remember what series he did in, in America. Did uh, did he do IndyCar? I can't remember. Um, uh, I may I may be getting confused. I don't think he did IndyCar. Uh, no. <laughs> Not sure if anyone's gonna check that for us, but I'm not gonna yeah. really watch it. But I, I, I'm not. I don't think he did IndyCar. No, no. I, I, I was was it IndyCar? I honestly cannot remember. Um, but he's, but he's. Um, oh no, he, no, he, he did do IndyCar. I thought so. He did. Yeah, in 2018 and 2021. Um, sorry, I just googled it. It looks like he was stepping. He was stepping for uh, for for some drivers. Uh, but but you know he's he's raced in F3 Asia. He's done you know he's raced in um, in endurance and DTM and stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I mean you know, he's 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 won a couple of series, but he's not won. Well, looking at it here, he's not won anything since Formula V8 in 2016. Uh, he came fifth in the F3 Asian Championship in 2019. Uh, that is the that's the best thing he's had recently. So you know, you know, we're not looking at it going, oh, he's going to be a world champion because he's probably not. And I think we all know who's in the running to be the next few world champions. Um, that's a podcast in itself. Uh, but um, but yeah, but it, it it'll it'll be good to see him in. Um, I genuinely think it is sad to see Mazepin go um, because he was beginning to show signs of improvement. Um, however, this is the position we're in. He's the victim of very unfortunate circumstances, and we have to we 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 have to we we have to move on. You know, we 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 have to accept the situation for 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 what it is, and 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 unfortunately, he's collateral damage. Yeah, he is sort of these uh, collateral damage, and yeah, to one side, I echo a lot of what you said about um, Fittipaldi. I mean, he came and he just sort of just did his job really when he was filling in for Roman Grosjean he was not all that far off the pace of Kevin Magnussen in, in in those races 
so um, yeah, fair play to him. And I imagine Haas will pick him not only just because he is a Fittipaldi and will probably bring sponsorship money with him, which of course they're going to desperately need. Yeah. But um, also, he's been Haas's reserve driver for so many years now. He's been, you know, working very closely with that team. And clearly, they they must see stuff behind the scenes with him working either in the simulator or in private tests or yeah, the testing that we're uh, that we've seen. Um, that they're, they're they're happy with him and are willing to give him a shot. I mean, he wouldn't have been my first pick. I think there are maybe a few other drivers out there who maybe a bit faster or a bit more experienced than than Fittipaldi, but. You know, it's another iconic name on the grid, you know. We, we have a Schumacher back, we have a Fittipaldi back, and soon we even might see an Andretti team, so... Yeah, I mean, it does feel like we've got the wish version of um, Fittipaldi and Schumacher at the moment, but... Uh, um, it but comes yeah. good in his second season. Yeah. It's historical <laughs> facts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully Schumacher does. Um, and also, let's not forget, Haas... And not in the position where they can, um, uh, you know, where, where they can just say, oh, let's go and pick, you know, it's not like they're playing F1 career mode where they can just pick any driver they want. Unfortunately, they have a big void of money to fill now that Eurocali have gone. Um, I mean, there are rumours around that uh, one and one, which is one of Schumacher's main sponsors, are going to be stepping up to title sponsor. Um, one on one is a massive company. You know, I I, I work with them in, in in my line of work anyway. Um, they are enormous, so they financially wouldn't have a problem stepping up like that. I don't think. Um, also, they're going to want to back the name of Schumacher, you know, because it's going to do wonders for for, for for the sport in Germany. You know, especially for people seeing another Schumacher on the grid. So, um, but. Has are probably going to be a bit more conscious that they're going to, you know, think about the opportunity to spread their money across two drivers, and Fittipaldi is going to bring that in. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see the likes of, say, Banco Brazil or someone back in, or you know, a few of the sponsors that we saw with the likes of Felipe Massa, Felipe Nasser, um, Rubens, or all, all, you know, that sort of era of drivers, if you can even say that about them. Um, you know, uh, you know, I've, I've there, I think we may well see some Brazilian sponsors on that car uh, coming up, especially as it's such a blank canvas now. I mean, and Brazil is a huge market for Formula One. I mean, there's so much about oh, yeah. Brazil and the fact that we haven't had a, Bra- a Brazilian driver on the grid since Felipe Massa uh, is is kind of weird. It's like the fact that we, we now no longer have an Italian driver on the grid. It feels... It feels... It, it feels like F1 is missing something. Mm. And imagine the roar at Interlagos when you see a Fittipaldi driving round in his home yeah. Grand Prix. I, I've, I've just got tingles thinking about it. You know, it'll... Uh... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is definitely something uh, that Formula One needs, and especially considering the Brazilian Grand Prix has been under such weird sort of threats from itself almost uh, moving away from Interlagos and moving to some horrendous street circuit, which would involve cutting down a bunch of <laughs> Brazil's rainforest to build. Um, so I think it'll be great, yeah. uh, great for the, and great for Brazil and definitely a bit more security for the, 
Interlagos in the future because you know when you have a Brazilian driver there it's going to be more packed than it usually is because the Brazilian Grand Prix is always is always one where a lot of a lot of fans turn out to come see. Um, so now we're going to sort of move away from Haas and start getting a bit into the sort of the um, the sort of nitty gritty as- aspects of of the new um, sporting regulations. Um, we're not going to touch too much on the technical reg- uh, regulations uh, because well, I think even me and Tom will, will proudly admit that we don't really know what we're talking about when it comes to sort of mechanical engineering and um, aerospace engineering. Um, I just write articles for Formula One, really. <laughs> I don't really know what I'm talking about. Um so we're going to stick to more of the sporting regulations, which are a bit easier to interpret uh, and quite easy to explain. So um, first of all, we're going to talk about the new points um, coming in. So, of course, Tom, you'll wonderfully remember the, the Belgian Grand Prix, <laughs> which uh, which happened. Well, Max Verstappen's best victory to date, that was. It was great. It was absolutely superb race. Such, such scintillating racing. I was so glad that I was at the MotoGP that day and <laughs> didn't have to sit through and watch that. Um, so, effectively, F1 has, has uh, come up with a way to stop that ever happening again. Um, so, the way it's going to work now is that um, if two laps... Uh, so, it used to be that two racing laps had to be completed to award half points... Um, be it under safety car or not under safety car, that will no longer come into effect. Um, so two laps have to be completed without a safety car or virtual safety car um, for any points to be awarded. If that doesn't happen, then no points are awarded whatsoever. Um, and now that there's more stipulations, usually it just been anywhere between two laps and I think it's like... 50% race distance, half points yeah. would be half points would be awarded. Um, that's no longer the case. So there's now sort of like three categories for um uh, for lesser points effectively. So if less than 25% of the race is completed, then you get basically 25% points. So if, but that's only for the top five. So it'd be first place will get six points, second, four points, third, three points, fourth two points, fifth, one point. Then if it's anywhere between 25% and 50%, then half points are awarded, but it's it's kind of rounded up half points. It's no longer half points. And then if between 50 and 75% of the race is completed, then 75% of points are uh, awarded, any more than 75%, and then full points are awarded, which... I think you'll agree, Tom. It's a it's a completely welcome change, given just how how much of a mess yeah. that Brazilian Grand uh, Brazilian um, that Belgian Grand Prix was. Let's, let's not talk about the Brazilian Grand Prix. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was such a mess, and the fact that yeah. half points were awarded for <laughs> completing two laps behind the safety car is, is a bit atrocious. Yeah, and I think one of the sort of key sticking points, or, or not sticking points, but I think I think one of the best things that they've written in this in these updated regulations is that it's two laps completed of racing so it's not two laps behind the safety car it's two laps of actual go out there 
send it, do whatever. You know, it's two it's two laps of actual racing. You know, whether that, you know, it, it, you know, it, if if you're to take Monaco for example, whether they'll just be two laps of driving rounds. Yeah, fair enough. But the point is, the opportunity is still there to overtake. You know, they are still racing laps, which does quantify a race because you know, just touching back on on Brazil, um, Belgium, very quickly, it was not a race. It, it was it was a, it was a parade, um, but it was a bloody farce. And I say that, <laughs> and I, I I say that as a Max Verstappen fan. Um, no point should have been awarded for that. That was an absolute joke, but that is long in the memory. So um, it's good to see that F1 has learned from, from that event, or as used to call it a race. Um, you know, it's good to see that F1 have learned from it and they've put stuff in place and they've put stuff that scales as well. So, so, the, so it's effectively 0 to 25, 26 to 15, 51 to 75, and 76 to 100. It's good to see that it scales that way and the points scale that way as well. Because yes, you know some races will be all the action happens in the first two laps, and then Hamilton drives around for fifty-five laps and claims a win. But also other races, something could happen on lap fifty-five or fifty-eight. Cough, I would be cough, um, or you know, or something could happen midway through. So uh, you know, a, a race is never done until the checkered flag falls, and that's why I think it's good that the points scale accordingly. Um, you know, you know, because you know, say, 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 we have something like this in this upcoming season, and we get to say we get to say halfway through a race, say we get to fifty-five percent, and there's a big red flag because there's you know inclement weather, or there's a heavy shunt, or or or, or whatever reason it's a red flag, and they say the race will not be resumed. Say that happens, and half points get awarded. I guarantee you, whoever has won, whether it's Hamilton, whether it's Max, whether it's George Russell, whether it's, I don't know, Leclerc, Sainz, Norris, Danny Rick, Perez, whoever, whoever has won, but especially if it's Hamilton or Max, I guarantee you, you will have fans on either side saying, oh, that's a joke. He, you know, he, he was home and dry in that race. You know, he was 20 seconds ahead of the pack, all the rest of it. I guarantee you will have people saying, Oh, it's you know, you know, it, it four points should have been awarded. There, 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 there. Yes, you, you know, at the time he was twenty points ahead, but we only need to look at Silverstone twenty twenty when Hamilton, and Bottas, and a number of others had those had those blowouts. So, mm. and and we only need to look at Abu Dhabi when the chief put it in the wall and um um and we, we had a safety car. Is it, you know, I, I know that's not apples for apples because because you know you know because we had a. Slightly different outcome, um, but um, but the point is, a race can flip on its head at the drop of a hat, and you and yes, um, yes, it doesn't always happen, but it may happen, and you don't and you don't know if it will happen or not, and if it does happen, you don't know when it's going to happen. So that's why I think it's good that the that the points are sort of on this on on this sort of sliding scale. Yeah, it it is it is a lot better than uh, sort of the old way it was done. And it's nice to see that F1 have, um, you know, rectified, you know, their their problems uh, so quickly. You know, we've seen F1 make mistakes before and then take years before they they decide to fix it. But it's, it's nice to see under the current Formula One management, under Ross Braun, um, as well as Stefano Domenicali, um, that F1 are willing to make quick changes of course they couldn't implement this during um during last season it's um 
because of the way that sporting regs uh, work. But it's nice to see that they've already put them into effect. And I believe there are going to be even more sporting regulation changes announced before the start of the season. They're still being sort of, not sure if they're still being hashed out, but I think they're still just yet for formal approval from like the FIA and everything. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting uh, to see if these are um, put into place at all. Obviously, as F1 fans, we don't ever hope for races that don't complete the full distance. But when you get races such as, I think, like Malaysia, how many times that we get an absolute downpour in Malaysia and it would well, effectively... Like, yeah, well, well it's, like, it's like 2009 when Kimi mm. was eating an ice cream. Yeah. You know, so, so you, you don't know when something like that is going to happen. Yeah. So, and yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a um, great way to do that. Now we're going to move on to, well, more just things that are going to happen on a Saturday in Formula One now. So, of course, it's been confirmed that we're going to have three more sprint races um, for this year. Whether or not your opinion on them was great or negative. Um, me, I was slightly in between. Um, so we've got three new sprint races and also we've got some new quality tyre rules um, coming in. Uh, so we'll start with the sprint races. So we've got to, they're going to take place at Imola, the Red Bull Ring and Interlagos this year. Of course, we did have the sprint race at Interlagos um, last season. Um, but instead of Monza and Silverstone, it's going to be the Red Bull Ring and Imola. So, I mean, they're fairly good tracks for overtaking Tom. Uh, probably the Red Bull ring in Interlagos more than than Imola. But it's nice to see that we're not just going to stick with the same ones and they're, they're still willing to test it out on different tracks. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, F1 have picked these tracks, and we were saying this just before we started. They've picked these tracks because they lend themselves fairly well to overtaking. Even Imola, which I... Well, which I know certainly I didn't think we'd see um, before, you know, be, before the season started. Uh, so, <clears throat> yeah. So, the, uh, spring quality, which it is now called spring quality, I believe, because last year they were like, "Oh, it's a race." Then last year they called it the sprint. Now they're calling it spring quality because they've realised that they were championship. Um, they've, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, They've obviously picked these three circuits, um, sort of. What's the best? What's the best way to say this? They picked these circuits because they know they lend themselves well to overtaking. They know they're going to create good drama. You know, especially hopefully with the twenty twenty two cars being easier to follow, all the rest of it, um, but still being almost just as quick as the twenty twenty one cars. They picked these circuits because they know it's going to certainly hopefully create some good on-track incidents or on-track racing, wheel banging, all the rest of it, which is what people want to see. The sprint is there because it is, it's more entertainment, apparently, um, which, which, which I get. And, and you know, props to F1 and Liberty Media for having the kahunas to actually try something different. These F1 fans are historically incredibly reticent to change. So, um, you know, so, 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 so to see them actually go out and try something to try the different circuits is a good idea. I think if we were to see the sprint at, say, uh, what were the three we said before we started? Wasn't it like Monaco, 
Barcelona and Hungary. We, yeah. we, we said, <laughs> yeah, we, we said that if, if we saw the sprints at those three races, perhaps they would have slightly different results and it would just be like the first phase of a race because that is what the sprints somewhat turned into. It's like if you look at the circus we had it at last year, um, you, you know, because last year we had what Silverstone, Monza, and Interlagos. Interlagos, of course. Um, you know, or again, all circuits which lend themselves fairly well to decent racing. You could argue that in that, um, Monza is like uh, uh, Spielberg for this year because it's you know lots of straights and you know a very very fast circuit. You you could argue that um, uh, Silverstone is like Imola. You know, perhaps a, you know, perhaps a, you know, not one that you necessarily think of for like sort of super fast straights and overtaking. You know, with you know, with a bit more sort of technicality to it, and you could then argue that. Um, uh, God, where else are we going this year? I just said it as well. Imola and Interlagos. Uh, yeah, I, I said Imola. Um, yeah. Where else? Sorry, where else are we going this year? If I can keep memory blank. Interlagos. No, we went to Interlagos last year for. And we're going again this year. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah. Well, well yeah. Well, well, that one. You know. You know. I, I think. I think. I think we know what to expect. Um, good luck, whoever's editing this, to cut all that out. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. It, I think if if we want to see if we really want to sort of see sprints in its best in its sort of best format, or whatever, I think we need to have it at, at, at a more eclectic mix of tracks. So we need to see it at somewhere like, um, you know, you know, somewhere like Singapore or Monaco. You know, we need to see it at a proper street circuit first. Then after that, we need to see it at at a permanent facility that is, that is notoriously more difficult for overtaking to the likes of Barcelona or Hungary or something. I mean, you could even try something maybe like Baku. I mean, Baku's kind of you've got that long straight which can aid in overtaking, but it is also a street track. Do you know? What? I think a sprint event at Baku would be absolutely brilliant. If you look at some of the racing we've had there in the past, yeah, I think it could. I think it would actually be really good. Yeah, that's a really good show, actually. The thing is, like, I think a definite uncertainty around because we we knew for the last however many years now, probably since twenty seventeen, since the the new aero those aero regs came in, we knew that these cars are, are difficult to overtake with. They yeah. throw far too much turbulence uh, to to allow for close racing. And we're now kind of going to 2022 in the unknown, not really knowing how these cars are when they're able to follow. We've seen some drivers test it out in Barcelona um, two weeks ago, just trying to get an, an idea. And we've not really heard anything from the drivers in terms of what it is actually like to to follow other cars. I think, but, Le- uh, sorry, Lou, I think Leclerc came out with something. I think he said that, um, it is generally easier until you get really close to the car in front, and then you start getting the washboard effect that you that we got last year. So, by the sounds of it, you uh, the drivers are able to get a lot closer, which is, if that's true, is good. Yeah. So then, hopefully, like maybe like a, a track like Imola could be could be really um, good for that because, I mean, Imola is a fast track, and it does have. Maybe like one, I would say, main overtaking point going into um, 
sort of basically what is I think it's what's turn two because I got the kink first, which is turn one. Um, I don't know the the, the corner names, um, no. but yeah, I mean we saw some good racing in last year, probably half due to the the changeable conditions and the late safety car. But um, I think that could be good, and I think then Rebel Ring is is a track that you you'd expect there to be good um, good racing, and you'll get quite a few laps out of that because it is what thirty percent race distance, and it's quite a long has quite a lot of laps, so that should be good. And then Interlagos, well, we saw what happened with with Hamilton starting all the way from the back, and you know making his way to fifth place or something uh, ridiculous yeah. so if the cars can genuinely follow then I think the sprint race is maybe a little, a little bit more interesting um, and given the more durable tyres of course that we're getting from Pirelli it might actually make the sprint races something worth watching rather than being a bit of chaos for a couple of laps and then basically settle down into just a glorified just race basically yeah yeah um... Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't really have anything to add to what you just said, to be honest. Mm. <laughs> well, I didn't mention tyres, so we'll talk about tyres. So now the Q2 rule is is now going out the window uh, now because uh, Pirelli have so much faith in the raceability of their tyres now with the 18-inch um, wheels. Um, so... No longer will it be the rule that if you qual- whichever if you're qualifying in the top ten, whichever tires that you qualified in Q two will be the tires that you start on. So I don't know how I feel about this because one, you may see more different tiring strategies in the race, but it's always interesting when you get to Q two. You see which uh, which teams are going to gamble, go out on the, uh, the mediums or the softs, or decide. Um, what's going to happen or yeah I'm not sure what I think about it because I, I quite like that aspect of qualifying sometimes yeah uh, you know I, I was I was hoping that was going to stick around um, because I, I think I think it was genuinely a good rule um, you know you know it, it, it brought you know it brought sort of quite a lot of uh, you know, sort of not unpredictability, but but it's like you know, if you know, if a driver sort of just missed out on on Q three, then you know, it does have to say P eleven, P twelve. It's you know, in in some ways, in some ways, that they they would have you know, they 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 they'd almost have like dip a hand or something. Mm. So yeah, so I I I I'd, I'd like to see that all stick around. Um, I'd be interested to know why F1 got rid of it as well, or if they cited any particular reasons for it. I think it's Pirelli were just were um, were just happy. I think F1 and Pirelli were just happy with maybe the raceability of these new tires and the fact that if drivers drivers being able to push on them will allow for more mixed strategy rather than the need to force new strategy. If let's say you you know miss out on miss out on Q2, stick a set of the mediums on and try and go long and get into the top 10. Or if, you know, you've gone out on the mediums, you're slower and then have to make, you know, a last ditch attempt on the softs to get yourself into Q3. And then that sets you up badly for the race. I'm not sure. Um, To be completely honest, as I said, it's a rule that I've, I've, I've really liked. 
I think it's always made elements of strategy a bit more interesting. Yeah. You know, especially if someone locks up on, on, on their run in Q2 and they then have to go out hard in, in, in a second running in Q2 and burn up, say, an extra set of softs or if they've tried to get to on the mediums um, and then they realise they're not going to get, you know, they're not going to get through or, you know, you know they, they then go out and then use up, you know, you know, use up a set of softs, you know, even if they've only done, if that tyre's done three laps, so, you know, so out lap, hot lap, in lap, then those tyres are still scrubbed at the very least when it comes to the race. Or that you know, you know, they're they're still used. So, yeah, it's 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 yeah, it, it's 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 one which which I wish would have stuck around, but it'll be it will be interesting to see how it plays out uh, this year. Yeah, I mean, there are so many unknowns going into this season. Of course, we don't we have some indicator of what the um what these new tires are like, given the Abu Dhabi tire test at the end of. 2021 and then of course the um tire testing that we've seen in barcelona but of course we can't really judge barcelona because it's conditions in which the drivers are very unlikely to race in um given how cold um it usually is but um i mean i don't know where i'm going with this point but um I mean, if Pirelli, you know, deliver the goods and say that these tyres are really good for raceability, drivers can push on them and it allows for, you know, good racing without this, you know, massive drop-off and drivers needing to nurse their tyres pretty much from, you know, turn two on lap one, then I'm all for it. Yeah. Because then it may cause a bit of, you know, mix up with the strategy. You know, you, you may be able to, you know, really go for it on a set of, mediums or a set of hards and just, just change things up a bit yeah uh, I, I, again i agree mate um and everyone seems to like seems to have been stuck in this sort of infinite loop over the past sort of seven eight years where we'll go from having tires where one year you'll have to do three stops in a race sort of like circa 2015 to then i think it was when 2017 came in and and, and we had different tires and just like every single race was a one-stop. And it's like, there seems to be no discernible advantage to two-stopping with, you know, say, say going like soft, medium, soft. Um, there was just nothing in it. And every driver, every driver was running the same strategy. There was no alternate strategy. So no, no matter what Pirelli do, they're, they're going to get people on one side saying, oh, this is poor shit, this is whatever. Um, you know, you know that's why the tires giving up, and then you get, and then if they then go, you know, you know, they'll then make the tires a bit harder. You then get people on the other side saying, "Oh my god, the tires are lasting all race." You know, you know, there's no varying strategy, and and you know, and and, and Pirelli are basically sitting there, rock, you know, rocking back and forth, going, "I don't know what you want from me." Um, so it's uh, they they've got an almost impossible task of making something which is which is going to appease everyone, which is never going to happen. So provided they can sort of satisfy the, the majority of people, because um, like anything in life, they're going to have those few people sort of whinging or complaining. But some people, some people, perhaps a bit like me, you're only happy when they're whinging and complaining. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's for me in my mind, there's two easy ways to solve this. One, allow for different manufacturer, tire manufacturers coming back into the sport, allow for a mixed range so you can have Bridgestone or Michelin or Pirelli tires whichever ones you want. 
makes it a little bit more interesting in terms of tyre strategy because different, of course, tyres will have different builds. And number two, bring back refueling. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I, do, I don't agree with bringing back refueling. I mean, I understand how dangerous refueling during a race is, and but my God, did it make strategy a little bit more interesting in races sometimes. But I do agree on, on the kind of safety terms of just how dangerous refueling is, especially when you're trying to do, if you're doing a, a stop with uh, with fuel, you're trying to do it under 10 seconds. It's not, we've seen many times just how badly wrong it can go. Oh, yes. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe not bring back re- uh, refueling, but definitely I think having more options in, tire, in the tyre uh, manufacturer that you chose that you choose to supply your tyres, I think is something that Formula One needs back because it it does make things more interesting. We'll just bring back Bridgestone. Bridgestone built great tyres. Mm. Anyway, um, <laughs> move on for tyre talk and now move on to, well, the sort of more controversial area of Formula One over the last few months and the part of F1 Twitter that has now become completely um, unbearable um, you're lucky you're not really on Twitter Tom I, I don't um, have I don't have a Twitter account so um, <laughs> so Michael Massey of course is gone whether you yeah. like it whether you're you know happy about it whether you're sad Tom I can tell by your face that you're probably wanting Michael Massey to maybe stick around <laughs> um, I, I don't care <laughs> Honestly, um, but the sort of the long and short of it, he's gone, and he well, he won't be coming back because apparently Toto Wolf is still very, very angry about what happened in a, in Abu Dhabi. What's that, Toto? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we picked the wrong two people to talk about this. Uh, <laughs> um, so anyway, Michael Massey has been relieved of his role and his role is going to be replaced by three uh, three people. So you've got Niels Wittick, Eduardo Freitas and Herbie Blash. Um, Herbie Blash was, I believe, Charlie Whiting's deputy when he was um, uh, race director and Niels Wittick and Eduardo Freitas, I believe they've been drafted in from endurance racing. Um, I think so, yeah. Yeah. So they're all three men with a lot of experience um, coming in to take this role. And alongside that, there is going to be now a sort of a VAR type thing. It's like an automated um, AI program that will help enforce um, the sporting regulations a lot more fairly. Therefore, sporting regulations will be less up to interpretation from the race directors and any decisions that are made by the race directors will have to pass through this new um, artificial intelligence sort of program uh, just to make sure that, that what they are doing is actually in line with sports and regulations, therefore making sure that nothing like Abu Dhabi happens again. But I don't care because Max won the championship. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, um, I mean, obviously, it seems to make sense. There was a lot of outrage after Abu Dhabi, Tom. And, you know, I think something had to be done. I think while some people come out to um, support Michael Massey and say that it was, un- you know, it was unfair to sack him. At the end of the day, Abu Dhabi wasn't his only mistake. He made so many mistakes during that season. It 
started to get quite annoying, actually. So do you think now, the fact that we now have three people doing Michael Massey's job, plus a programme, like a video assist, uh, like a virtual assistant um, behind them, making sure that all the rules are being applied, do you think we'll finally start seeing some consistent and fair, you know, stewarding? Uh, now, let's not forget that the stewarding wasn't necessarily Michael Massey, and that is a different topic in itself. But if we're looking at, but if, if we're looking at the actions of Michael Massey throughout the 2021 season, I do agree that he has been replaced because if if we look at if we look at what happened in Abu Dhabi as an example, um, it, if you listen to the way Massey was talking, especially when when he had the Red Bull in one ear, Mercedes in the other ear. It sounded like he had lost control, which I can kind of understand, because he had Toto barking in one ear and he had Horner moaning in the other ear. Um, plus, he had Ron Meadows and Jonathan Whiteley as well. The point is, he had both teams going at it, hammer and tongue from, from from either side, and I can understand why both teams were going at it, hammer and tongue from from from, from either side. Ultimately, the decision in Abu Dhabi. It, this is probably going to annoy a few people. It was not wrong because there is a, or there was, certainly was a regulation that says the race director has the ultimate say. I can't remember what rule, what number rule it is, but there was that rule in there. Do I agree with that rule? No, because it meant the race director could just go and say anything he wanted. So I, you know, there were a number of questionable decisions throughout the season. Max should have got a penalty in Brazil. I don't know how he didn't. I do not know how he did not get a penalty for that. Um, but alas, you know, we can't change the course of history. You know, what's what's been done has been done. Looking forward to 2022, the VAR style sort of like replay thing, I think is a good idea. And with the amount of cameras at an F1 circuit of a weekend, the amount of angles available, the amount of data available from the cars, from the drivers themselves, you know, from from their gloves, from their, you know, from from from, from, from their like their vital organ trackers, all the rest of it, there is no reason these days with the advancements in technology and data availability that drivers cannot. Oh, sorry, sorry, the, the FIA. And the stewards and the race directors and everybody cannot, you know, there's no excuse for them to not be able to make correct conscious decisions. You know, you know, if 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 they note a decision and then and then you know, say, you know, we, we need to go away and 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 have a look at it, good, do it. Don't rush a decision choice, don't rush a result just for the sake of entertainment or just for the sake of thinking, oh shit, I gotta get a um, I've I've gotta get a result out or, or you know we've got to put something out so 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 don't just sort of like chuck a dice on the floor and say oh we've we've rolled number four that means 10 second penalty for hamilton you know or or, or you know you know, drive the penalty for max or, you know, or whatever don't do it that way apply the rules apply them consistently use all the data available use all the images all the all the video available but on the flip side, learn from mistakes that rugby, my other favourite sport, has um, has fallen into the trap of with with the TMO. 
don't overanalyze things. If you can see that an incident is fairly sort of like, you know, sort of, you know, sort of like clear, clear and obvious. That's a phrase that's used a lot in rugby. Um, if you can see that one driver is pretty much clearly at fault, don't spend 10 minutes going back, looking at the same angles over and over. You know, don't, you know, you, you know, don't, you, you know, don't scrutinize everything to within an inch of its life. If if a decision is fairly obvious, good. Verify that decision with with, with the data and provide there aren't any sort of mitigating factors or anything. Go ahead and 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 give the appropriate sanction, but make sure that the same sanctions are given at each race because it's. We had so many things last year where whereas like, you know, Paris got two penalties in, um, uh, in. Uh, Red Bull in the Red Bull ring for I think they're both with Leclerc for pushing him wide, um, and then Max didn't get a penalty for pushing Hamilton wide in Brazil. You, you know, you know that's just one example of sort of how things were so off kilter last year. So there needs to be an element of consistency. The stewards and the race directors and everybody involved, they need to have the, um, they need to use the technology available to make the correct decisions. And also now that the teams have had this direct line of communication with the FAA cut off, I think that will help. Uh, sorry. Um, yeah. With the FAA or, or, the, or the race director, I, I think that will help because the race directors are not going to have people. They're not going to have all this constant background noise going on that, you know, they're going to, they're going to have the headspace and they're going to have the, you know, they're, they're going to have the time to look at everything, um, you know, you know, as, as opposed to having, you know, you know, you, whichever sort of sporting director or team principal saying, "Oh, Michael, what do we do about this?" You know, you know, the, you know, the, this, you know, the, the, you know, the th- things are getting into the right place for you know for 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 us to hopefully have a good consistent season when it comes to stewarding, officiating, and and penalising. Mm. Um, someone just put in the chat quite an interesting question. It's like, how will decisions be made now that two minds have to make one choice? They will likely disagree at some point. I think, luckily, with the way that the FI and the, the racing director, they, they, of course, you have multiple stewards making um, decisions on penalties throughout the race. Um, that way it's been for... For the longest time now, um, there's always been multiple stewards um, who make uh, decisions... Uh, in terms of uh, the race director, I think it's just a way of just making sure that you know just all that you know all that sort of I don't want to say power, but all that responsibility doesn't just fall on one man's uh, shoulder to make a, just a rash and sort of in the moment decision, which Michael Massey was definitely um, was definitely guilty of doing. Yeah, definitely guilty of doing as well. Um, so having those those two people there just make sure that decisions are being made properly and then of course they've got the help of this new sort of virtual assistant um that is going to help them make these decisions uh make sure that correct safety car procedures are being followed red flag procedures everything um and just making sure that they're just doing a good job and just doing the right thing uh rather than you know doing the wrong thing and you know and not well just completely destroying the f1 fan base as we know it at the moment to be completely honest um yeah so yeah i think that's probably good um 
good answer to your question the way it's going to be done now and I think it's a much better way of it being done uh, if you ask me um, of course I was <laughs> not bothered by um, um, Massey's decision in Abu Dhabi but I was certainly bothered by a lot of other decisions that he made throughout the entire season and also I was going to to touch on the fact that the um, the teams no longer have um, well they do have aligned to the FIA still, one that won't be broadcast and one that will, you have to follow procedures to make sure that you are not interrupting or just, so no longer can you just immediately get on the radio to the race director and have a whine. There are strict procedure now in which the teams have to follow, um, meaning that they can't do that anymore, which um, of course is for the best because my God did, did that get very, I mean, it was interesting to listen to, but after a while, you're just like, oh my God, these every team is just a bunch of whiners. And it's actually yeah. incredibly annoying how they would just yell at um, <laughs> yell at Michael Massey. I wonder if they ever did that to Charlie Whiting. I genuinely wonder. I bet they did. Um, but we uh, But we didn't see it or we didn't hear it as much. Mm. Um, and I bet it was going on from day one with Massey, um, but it's only now that um, you know now, now that um, now that things have been broadcast that that we actually started to hear it. Because I, I remember the first time I heard it. I'm sure it was in Barcelona um, in the race. It just sort of popped up. It said it said you know, team radio, and then it had Mercedes and the FIA or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, "Ooh, that's new!" And then obviously we saw it unfold. We saw it evolve into um, into Mikey. I sent you an email, um, and then uh, and then no, Mikey, no, in uh, in, uh, in 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 Abu Dhabi. That, honestly, that's well, that red flag between Silverstone, uh, like because I was one really annoyed because of the incident that had occurred, um, and obviously I thought that is another. I don't know. This might be slightly controversial with some fans that I think the, also the wrong decision was made in Silverstone regarding Hamilton. I think ten seconds was a bit weak for that. Um, yep. I think a drive-through or something a little bit more severe because you don't just, you, as as Christian Horner said, you, you don't put a wheel up. You don't ever just send it at the inside of cops. It's it's not something you do. Um, but. Yeah, it did provide a bit of entertainment, but uh, it did, I think it did get a, a bit older. I think people were getting slightly fed up with it. But it's now one of the best memes in F1 now. So, <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so we'll just sort of just round this up with just a couple of. So, we've pretty much touched on what all the new sporting regulations and how that's going to impact um, Formula One, but we'll just quickly just talk about a couple of things so of course tom we've talked about the fact that there will be no russian driver now but um, there will also be no russian grand prix um the deal for the russian grand prix hence uh, you know henceforth has now been completely cancelled um it's very unlikely we'll ever return to sochi again get in um but it means that there is now a hole in the calendar so just a quick question for you tom where do you yeah. where do you think f1 should go Sepang. Yes, you know what? The yes. 
people people don't people don't talk about them the fact that we don't have a Malaysian Grand Prix enough I think it was a good circuit and it did it, it was it was like a good version of China um it was also uh, it, it was also relatively affordable to go to even from the UK um you know, all things considered. However, apparently it was an absolute pain to get to for the actual teams. Um, and it just didn't bring in that much money, which is why it which is why it got let go from the calendar. But if you look at if you look at where F1 is over that time, you know, so we're in Japan and Singapore. Japan is there. Why not? Yeah, I mean I absolutely loved, <laughs> absolutely loved um the, uh, the Malaysian Grand Prix. It was such a good. It's one of Tilka's best tracks, yeah. hands down. I uh, don't know how he got it so right, but fair play to the man. <laughs> the elevation change, um, you know, just everything about it, just the corners was just. It was just so much better. And yeah, I'm looking at uh, the the race now. So of course, it'd be two weeks after we go to Monza, and then it's two weeks. One week before we go to Singapore, so it'd have to be somewhere that the teams are able to get to Singapore pretty quickly. And yeah, Malaysia would make sense. Personally, I think it's going to be Turkey again. I think it'll be Turkey again um, because it's Turkey's a sort of like middle ground from um, Monza to Singapore, give or take. Because obviously, Turkey's right on the cusp of Europe into Asia. Um, yeah, uh, you know, you know, it, it'd be interesting to see. It'd be nice to see Turkey with modern cars in a dry race because obviously both times we've been there, it's been a wet race, um, especially twenty twenty. It's actually bucketing down. Um, you know, when, you know, when, you know, when Bottas spun off. Was it twenty twenty or twenty twenty one race? No, it was twenty twenty. Twenty twenty because it also had all the all the butamine oil still coming out of the, the tarmac. So That's mix right, that with yeah. all the wet weather, it made that track slippier oh, than the drag strip in <laughs> Hock and Hock. I mean, twenty nineteen, yeah, yeah. It, it was it, it was like a um, it was like a skating rink, yeah. And of course, of course, because he he won there in twenty twenty one because um, yeah, because Hamilton was whinging about his tires shock. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, I think we'll see Turkey back. Um, I think, it, I, I think we should be looking at something in, uh, you know, you know, something in Asia because the, because you know, it will be going into the flyaway season anyway. Um, I mean, just you know, just looking back at the Russian Grand Prix, I would see this year is going to be the last year we're going to be at Sochi anyway. Which, let's be fair. To play on the F1 game, it's quite fun, but all the racing there, apart from last year, has been absolute garbage. Um, and it was only good last year because Lando was on pole and, and we had the change in weather last year. So Sochi has gone out on a high. Do I think we should go back to Russia? No. Um, do I think that they will try and negotiate a new contract for Agora Drive for, for next year? Yes. Do I think F1 should tell them to stick it where the sun don't shine? Absolutely. There are much better suited F1 tracks out there. Um, there you know, it, there are other circuits which, which I'm sure, I'd, which I'm sure others would agree. We'd like to see people come back to or teams go back to and racing go back to. 
perhaps Imola could fill it on a full-time basis. I don't know if it's, I don't know if Imola's back full-time or not. I can't remember. Um, but Turkey could fill that slot full-time. Uh, yeah, um, I don't know. But money talks, in it? And we can't go to these places for free. And if it's not a sort of viable business opportunity for for F one or for their for their teams, and 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 sort of like a, sort of like for, you know for, from a from a sort of commercial side of things, if it's, if they're, if they're not going to get bums on seats, that means there's not enough money coming through, coming through coming coming through coming through the grandstands from tickets from merchandise from, from all the rest of it, which means the circuit runs at a loss, which means you can't afford to host a race. You only have to look at India. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. I don't want to see Sochi back on the calendar. I don't want to. I don't want the Formula One to be absolutely anywhere near Russia um, for the, you know, for, for well, forever. Basically, I don't. I don't want to see. Um, you know, we can't um, accept what's going on right now and then allow them to to hold a race. Um, Especially with the current climate that Russia, in, if Russia is to maybe change their tune quite significantly in more than ways than just pulling out of Ukraine, then um, then maybe, but uh, definitely not anytime soon. And then finally, we're just going to um, talk about um, Drive to Survive is coming out this Sunday. Uh, no, it's just Friday. It, yeah, it's Friday, Friday. Yeah, because I put the day off. <laughs> um, looking forward to it. Okay. Let's get in a bit closer. No. Um, (laughs) The season we had, it should be one of the best series of Drive to Survive ever. All the controversy, all the rivalry... Abu Dhabi teams, drivers, team principals, crashes, uh, you, you, you know, everything we had, it should have been or it should be a brilliant, brilliant series. But history has taught us with Drive to Survive that all that they're going to manufacture drama between some teams or between some drivers who aren't involved. Apparently, they've manufactured drama between Ocon and Sonoda. Weird. Um, at Paul Ricard. Uh, not quite sure why. Um, and... Sorry, I just wanted to... I'm going to check where they finished in that race. I don't think they were even the points. No, I think they were 13th and 14th. <laughs> not quite sure why on that one, to be honest. Um so yeah so I'm looking forward to it in the sense that it'll be entertaining and it'll be the first sort of F taste of F1 action that, that I'll have seen since December because I haven't seen anything from the shakedown in Barcelona yet um, I haven't even seen any YouTube videos from F1 uh, so I'm looking forward to it in that sense um, and Drive to Survive has done a lot for F1. It's brought a lot of fans in. You know, we you know we saw how many people were at Austin in Circuit of the Americas. We saw how buzzing that place was. But 
um, one of my colleagues, Danny, uh, was saying in in our um, in, in our everything in the front chat that it, we reckon it should be given to Amazon Prime because Amazon Prime uh, they do a bloody good sports documentary. You know, they've done a great one about the All Blacks. They did one about Tottenham, about um, Manchester City. They've done loads. I can't remember what I think it's called All or Nothing. Yeah. Um, which is sort they're of like doing a, one currently uh, about Arsenal this season. Good luck with that. Um, yeah, yeah, so that, 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 that should be called Nothing or Nothing, to be honest. Um, you know, I'm not even a football fan and I know Arsenal is shit. Uh, but um, uh, but yeah, no, uh, hmm. try to survive. Uh, I don't know how much of a credit it's going to do to F1. Uh, yeah, personally, um, yeah, I mean, the F1 fan base is great. I've always, I've, for, you know, three or four years ago, I would have said that F1 is the most niche mainstream sport ever. Oh, God, yeah. Because no one, like, everyone knew about Formula One. Formula One was a thing. Like, you couldn't ask people and say, have you ever heard of Formula One? Of course, they would go, yeah, Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. Or Michael <laughs> like, Schumacher or... or Michael Schumacher. They would they would be able to name like people that have that have come out of it. And but beyond that, a lot of people are just like, yeah, I, I don't get it. And I think now that with the, the rise of Drive to Survive, it has brought in so many new fans to the sport, which it needed to survive. Um, because ironically it's called Drive to Survive, but if without without this, I don't think Formula One would really would still be quite stagnant in in its sort of ability to you know to capture new fans, but um, yeah, it also has brought a lot of. It's Formula One Twitter used to be a wonderful place. I tell you what, three four years ago, F One Twitter was an amazing place to be on a race weekend because it'd just be full of banter. It would have been full. Of, it's just full of memes, and it's just it was hilarious. It was a great community to be a part of. Now it's like football Twitter, and it's the most toxic place on on Twitter, and it's horrible. And I blame Drive to Survive. <laughs> yeah, it's just. I mean, I yeah, I mean, you know, you know, I, you know, I said I don't have. I I don't have uh, I I don't have Twitter anyway, but I see enough sort of snippets and screenshots of things to know that I will never ever create an account on Twitter. Yeah, I, I honestly don't blame you, but I just want to quickly go back to uh, something that we were talking about literally about five minutes ago. I've just seen a tweet from the official Sepang circuit, and oh, yeah. all it says is, "Hmm." Oh, I saw that. Yeah, I saw a screenshot of that. It's just, yeah. So, uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Anyway, I'm going to bring this, uh, bring this podcast to a close now because we've pretty much spoken about everything that we can do without touching on the technical regulation changes, which will be coming on our fireside uh, next fireside episode with Tom Horrocks, uh, which will be coming out on Wednesday, I believe. Uh, I believe it's actually being recorded tomorrow and will come out on Wednesday. So, um, so yeah, make sure to keep an eye out for that. If you want to, he's got some some sort of technical expert on on the show. I, I can't remember who it is, but uh, they'll be talking through the technical regulations and what they mean for the um, for the well for 
the future of Formula One. And of course, you'll be able to see those cars actually on action on the telly um, next week when the testing, well, the official testing happens in Bahrain and is actually being broadcast this time rather than having to sit and just wait for text updates from the BBC about what's what's actually um, going on. Um, So we should be doing a show for that. And that will, of course, will be on on YouTube. I'm not sure if it'll be live streamed, but it will be put out um, probably the end of end of next week. So, of course, thank you um, for listening or watching. If you are listening to the show um, on Spotify, just know that we do um, live stream all of our shows live on YouTube, um, like we are right now. So if you are watching the live stream or watching on YouTube, um, hit subscribe, turn the notifications on, and you'll be alerted every time that we go live for a live stream. So not only can you listen to the shows a little bit early, but also be able to ask the questions for any post shows that we do, or if we do any more uh, podcasts like these, a bit more relaxed, allow for questions during the show. Um, make sure to get those um, comments in and we'll, we'll read them out. Um, we're also available on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Omni Studio, Verbal, as well as the F1 Chronicle website. Just search for the F1 Grit Talk podcast. Um, we have an absolutely humongous back catalogue of shows. You just have to scroll through um, uh, through our shows to see that we've got something like over 160 shows uh, to go back on. So if you're stuck with something to listen to between now and the start of the season, which is now only two weeks away, um, make sure to go check it out. We have... You know, race reviews, qualifying reviews. Um, we also have uh, different types of shows. So we have interviews with Mario Zola from Pirelli, and we have more documentary style um, podcasts as well, talking about Edson Senna, the 1994 Benetton conspiracy. So make sure to check them out. Also, if you give us a five star review on iTunes, um, we'll give you a shout out on on our next show. And also, you can rate us on Spotify now. So if you are able to do that and you're a Spotify listener, giving us five stars is greatly appreciated and we always love feedback um, on how to make our show better. Uh, We also have a Patreon, so if you'd like to support the podcast and help towards better mics, lights and recording equipment for all our hosts, any support is greatly appreciated. So finally, uh, Tom, uh, it's been great to have a chat with you, so would you like to plug yourself and let the people know where they can find more of you? Thank you, mate. Yes, so I'm part of Everything F1. You can find us at everythingf1.com across all social media pages with the handle at joinef one uh, We have a YouTube channel, Everything. If you search Everything F1, you'll find it there. Uh, and our Facebook group is the Everything F1 Paddock, where we currently have 8,000 or so active members. Um, and it's a thriving community. So everybody is welcome. Uh, please give us a follow. And also, we have the Everything F1 podcast, which goes out pretty much weekly. Uh, sometimes we have the odd week off here or there, you know, just to recharge, reset. You can find that across all your favourite podcasting platforms, as well as on our website. Brilliant. So that is all from us. And we will see you. Uh, of course, make sure to check out the Fireside podcast that will be coming out in the middle of the week um, for updates on the tech regulations otherwise we'll probably join you for our review of the but you know, the second test or the, the test in bahrain which is going to be happening this week so thank you so much and until next time goodbye <laughs>